Welcome to this week's episode of the Do You Like Apples podcast. Uh, it hasn't been since Barbenheimer and that craziness that we have decided to dedicate a full episode to one particular movie. We talked about Barbie in length, we talked about Oppenheimer in length, and now we're talking about May, December in length. Um, unfortunately, Drew won't be here today, but our buddy Joshua Ray will be joining us. Uh, you may have seen his blog, The Take Up. You may have heard his podcast, The Take Up. He is on KMOV Weekly, I believe, uh, talking about new releases with them. And he organizes and uh, curates the Queer Film Festival for Cinema St. Louis. So this guy is very involved in kind of that film world of St. Louis. And we're so happy to have him on. I just had to give him a quick message to ask if he even wanted to talk about it. And a resounding yes. He's as ex excited as I am. This is in my top 10 for sure. Um, I, I'm finding it hard to believe if anything's going to take it from the number one spot. But I have a lot to see still. And maybe another episode will be given to another movie this this winter and fall and kind of Oscars, precursor to the Oscars season. Um, but without further ado, uh, let's uh, please join me and Joshua Ray. This is the Do Like Apples podcast. Do you like apples? Do you like apples? Did Kaylee Spaney do what Natalie Portman did in uh, for Priscilla of like researching the role, coming back into lie. it, and just You're like really right, trying man. to find the find the truth, find the truth of the character, well, as uh, Natalie Portman says over and over again in this movie. So. I really hope she didn't do exactly what Elizabeth <laughs> does in May December, um, because right. then we should all be praying for Kaylee Spaney. For sure. And she's too young to be taking this yeah. approach just for, get out uh, of the deep for her roles that she's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we, we've set the stage for our main conversation today, uh, which will be a deep dive into uh, May, December. Uh, I, uh, Joshua Ray and I, uh, our guest today uh, on the Do you Like Apples podcast, I am Billy Rock. And uh, I've just finished watching May, December and uh, check out our episode uh, on his podcast. Uh, the take up where uh, we talk about how to blow up a pipeline, but I asked if he had seen May, December and would he like to talk about it? And he gave an enthusiastic yes. It's like so, all I've been waiting to do is someone to be like, <laughs> would you like to talk for a long time about May, December? Yes, I very much mm -hmm. would. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you jumped on the opportunity because when recording with you and Andrew, it seems like Andrew uh, would not give you the same platform to have an hour and a half discussion about this wonderful movie. Well, I, I think he would. I, I considered like maybe that should be my pick for the series we're doing. We we do our podcast in series where we have like a certain theme and then our guest and, and we we have one pick and then we go long on it. Um, we did actually talk about May, December for a good 20 minutes on our previous episode. Um, but this movie's really rich. It's really tricky. Um, it is a film that you, you come from it, not only because the ending leaves you just completely rug pulled out from under you. You're like, uh, what was, what was true? What was real? What the fuck was that? Um, yeah, you really want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited too, because Todd Haynes is uh, an interesting figure for me. Um, 
I'm not super familiar with all this work. I've seen, uh, I think I've only seen Poison, uh, Dark Waters, Carol, and now May December. Hmm. So I'm a I'm a, I'm a novice with Todd Haynes, uh, his full career at least. And uh, Drew and I on our last episode, uh, kind of tried to kick off award season with a talk about the Gotham Awards, which I don't think matter all that much. But I saw Charles Melton won uh, for best, I think their version of best supporting actor. I forget the exact category name. And Natalie Portman and Julian Moore weren't nominated for their lead performances. So I kind of made fun of Charles Melton, who I've never heard of before. And I had not seen May December yet. And I was like, Charles Melton winning over Natalie Portman or Julian Moore, who aren't even nominated. It, it just seemed like a wild decision. And then I watched May December. And I think we have the best performance of the year in Charles Melton in this movie. Um, I did not. I, I You see his face and you see how young he is and. Uh, kind of let me set the stage for May, December before I get uh, more into Charles Melton. Um, the the synopsis on Letterboxd is just 20 years after their notorious tabloid romance grips with the, uh, that gripped the nation, a married couple buckles under the pressure when an actress arrives to do research for a film about their past. Um, very vague premise for this movie. Um, it, it has enough interesting uh, uh, kind of uh, buzzwords in there to definitely catch my attention, even outside of just the Todd Haynes and Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, uh, Marquis. Um, but going into this, uh, did little or no research. Knew I wanted to watch it. And uh, I'm so happy I went in blind. Uh, even kind of discussing that it's a, a it's a story about a groomer. Uh, it's, it's definitely not a spoiler since it's so central to the story, but um, not knowing about that going in and uh, showing the nuance that Charles Melton gives with this performance is really fascinating. And that's what stuck out with me in my my initial viewing. And I've I've already watched it twice. We I'm a, I'm a, a sick freak who went back to this one because it is, it's kind of a it's soap so opera. It's uh, and I have a I'm I'm gonna uh, tease a, a take I have for this movie. It's it's positive, but a weird comp that I thought of. But I'll save that for a little bit later. Um, what were what was your? So clearly, you seem to love it. What was your initial reaction? And what stuck out to you when you first watched it? Well, I am a Haynes <laughs> fan. If you would just indulge me for just a second. Like, Go I, so much of what I love in cinema comes back to Todd Haynes, really centralized around the release of Far From Heaven. And Far From mm-hmm. Heaven is the film that he made with Julianne Moore. That's sort of a, a riff, not even a riff, like a, what if Douglas Sirk were to make a Douglas Sirk movie, but have themes that didn't need to be buried under the surface? So there's queer context, there's racial context. So he's he's done the thing and also talking about the thing in itself. So he's so tricky that way. And a lot of people think his films come off as cold and clinical or just academic because of it. I don't know how you watch Far From Heaven and not just be completely moved. Um, But that film introduced me to a lot of figures who are central to my cinephilia, like uh, Douglas Sirk, Ryder Werner Fassbender, Max Ophuls, like these figures who uh, played in the melodrama uh, campground or sandbox, Mm -hmm. if you will. And of course that springs into like, you start going into exploitation because of it, queer films because of it is, you know, everything sort of like 
springboarded off of Todd Haynes. So flash forward uh, uh, substantially later, I mean, I have seen all of his films. I've seen them all in the theater. I have anticipated every single one of them. Any little word that occurs about Todd Haynes making a film, I'm there. Um, uh, I made it into the Telluride Film Festival Student Symposium with a paper that I wrote about Carol, his 2015 film. And Mm -hmm. then when I made it in, uh, the Cannes Film Festival happened and Todd Haynes had a film called Wonderstruck, the adaptation of the Selznick, like graphic novel slash novel, um, Mm -hmm. YA book, as it were. And I got a little excited. What if Todd Haynes is at Telluride? Well, by the time I got into the mountains, you know, they do their surprise lineup, found out Wonderstruck was in fact going to be there. Todd Haynes would be there, but he would also be one of um, the faculty that we would meet with during our symposium. So uh, I got fucking nervous. (laughs) (laughs) I can only imagine. I was like, I... You know, I showed up to our quote-unquote classroom, and by this time we had met Werner Herzog, Ken Burns, um, uh, Jr. of Jr. and Agnes Varda, Faces Places, like, mm-hmm. like, oh, nice people, <laughs> you know. But mm-hmm. I'm just sitting there the whole time, like, when's Todd Haynes? Anyway, so I, I, uh, this is like leading up to a very like humble brag moment where I'm like, I sat right like three feet in front of Todd Haynes and got to talk to him. And as a film critic, I know I should probably not be that excited by that many years later, but he's such a hero of mine. Um, so that mm-hmm. is all to say that I did know too much about May, December going into it. <laughs> and yet, yeah. um, as soon as it begun with this very grainy footage of this um, kind of shallow focus digging through weeds and you hear the first strike of the go between music and the credits pop up. Mm -hmm. I think I levitated outside of my body, saw (laughs) myself, like I turned, I had Andrew on one side, had my boyfriend on the other. And I was like, this is it. (laughs) You know, it's to me, it was the, like um, the opening strike of music in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was very excited to see this first pass because I'm kind of primed of what to expect and have studied like Todd Haynes just in reading about him and been with him for a while. I feel like I got a grasp on what it was doing pretty quickly into it and yet was mm-hmm. constantly surprised by everything it did right that's what was so so your uh kind of star wars comp with the music opening it uh kind of is a good transition to what i thought of when that music came in and particular and then particularly what todd haynes was doing with the camera this feels like todd like a, if todd haynes were to remake not remake were to dabble in john carpenter movie this is <laughs> todd haynes halloween for me this the music is very different from Halloween, but it kind of gave me that villain presence that Julian Moore. I, you're gonna have to remind me of the character names throughout. Gracie, uh, Atherton, Julian you. Moore. They're in my yeah. head. <laughs> I, I can tell. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, Gracie played by Julianne Moore just is this figure that kind of pops in and out like Michael Myers does in Halloween. She's just, she's a huge figure in this town and uh, people are hush hushed about her for understandable reasons. Uh, but in protect her in a lot of ways. Yeah, and it's it's just really interesting. It, it is interesting. I don't think have we expressly said that it's she is based on Mary Kay Letourneau and that Charles okay. Melton's character is based on Billy Falau. And, and I Got was it. of the I don't know how old you are, but this thing was massive yeah. back when we had a monoculture. Like it took mm-hmm. over. It was a she was his teacher, and then this film it's a different right. situation. But she mm-hmm. it she. It's so tricky because at its center, this film deals with a pedophilic relationship, right? A relationship that began between a consenting adult and a non-consenting, but according to him, consenting. And according to the situation, he was actually at the charge, which the film later kind of questions um sexual relationship when he was 13 Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it sort of accepts that as it happened and here's the foundation of this family and they had two uh, they had a set of twins who are during this film graduating high school going off to college and then a little older daughter who's coming back but in the midst of that Elizabeth, the the actress played by um, actress. Uh, uh, Natalie, shit, Portman. Natalie Portman, <laughs> um, is infiltrating, investigating, and ultimately overgoes this transformation into a kind of freeing sexual mm-hmm. awakening into a version of Gracie. Um, so that's the setup, (laughs) but in the details, this is one of the funniest movies of the year too. 100%. And it, all of that combined together, I know sounds queasy. That's the point. Mm -hmm. This is one of the most transgressive films that I've seen in a long time to situate you into what is ostensibly a hero who's a pedophile. Mm-hmm. I mean, definitionally, yep. and and I don't know if you, I don't care to, but I don't know if you want to get into like, you know, reformation and, and is someone who does something like that, are they always that? Do we call them that mm-hmm. even though they claim that they had this like power differential and that the younger person was actually the the leader of everything and made all the moves. And so is that different? And, you know, it's all these gray areas that I think this film is interested in um but they're interested in in how haynes deals with what is the perception of self and Mm -hmm. what are the elements of self and do they amount to anything that can be discerned as do they amount to anything that could be discerned as a quote-unquote self yeah there's a part of this movie that it, it, it lulled me into a uh, not a, not an empathetic look at Gracie, but the uh, the decision to create the emotional crux of the scenario of two kids leaving for college. 
really tugged at my heartstrings and just that something very normal. Yeah, very normal. And just when they are pulling away and using that as the crux of opening up uh, Charles Melton. What's the, that character's name again? What's the Joe Joe uh, Joe's mind of like for the first time since probably when he was being preyed upon is thinking about how weird this uh, scenario is, this relationship is. And now with the, the safety nest of raising children, which I think in the right scenario can mask a lot of pain, obviously it can enhance a lot of pain, but in this forced uh, uh, harmony of this relationship at every turn, he, he comes home and Gracie's crying about uh, a, a, a cake order. That's not going to be there anymore. And you, you, you find out again, where this is full spoilers. We're not, uh, we're not going to be beating around the bush here. That's a, uh, or spoilers of small details. We can get into the twist and turns a little bit. Yeah, beating around the bush. Yeah, exactly. Sorry. <laughs> and Sorry. Uh, but the yeah the cake order being discontinued. Um, you've, you with the lawyer that was representing Gracie um, as the de- uh, as the defendant as the defendant, uh, kind of placing in a fake cake order that they just throw away every single month. Even the lawyer is doing his job and is able find some empathy built up for this character and how lost she is. The, the scene where uh, uh, Natalie Portman meets with uh, Gracie's ex-husband. Um, that was the point in the movie. I, I think I understood that this was a groomer scenario, but I was not doing the math correctly in my head. I'm like, okay, Joe was like 17 and there there's gray area there. And then the ex-husband was like, yeah, I don't know what gets into a 35 year old being into a 13 year old. And I was like, I didn't do that math right at all. I don't know how I missed that completely. And the, when he kind of said it that plainly, that's when my tone shifted on the movie and uh, obviously immediately becomes darker. And uh, you, you, what I was laughing at in the beginning, I kind of pulled back and I was like, Oh, this isn't as funny as I thought maybe, but then it got even funnier and funnier and funnier. It's funnier and, because yeah, of it. Exactly. And then, you know, the, the second time you see it and they're at the uh, Gracie's made a dinner for the first day that Rachel. Uh, oh, my God. Why can't I get her? Elizabeth's there? Yeah. And mm. it's like boys <laughs> lines like boys are hard where she's talking about raising her child. But then you're like, oh, my God, <laughs> that her husband was 13 when they met. And right. then there's like the um, the play on words where the boys are hard. You're like, mm-hmm. what the fuck is this movie doing? There's mm-hmm. this like constant like layers and levels of irony that it's it, it is so tricky and it completely pulls it off because i think it is still empathetic for every single person in mm-hmm. here what i mean you're gonna see these takes on twitter it's like this movie needs to have a moral judgment on the situation mm-hmm. what in this movie doesn't say she is a manipulator. Mm-hmm. She is someone who is self-aware when she plays at being um, completely oblivious, or as she likes to say, naive. Right. Uh, and then five minutes later saying, mm, I know exactly what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it is, it, it is very aware that the situation is disgusting and, and what happened, especially because the figure getting back to Charles Melton, mm-hmm. the, tragedy of it is in this man Mm -hmm. and he carries the weight of his past on his back quite literally something that he's that melton is doing in physicalizing this character 
He's carrying the trauma with him. He cannot stand up straight. He's hunched mm. over all the time. He has this long hair that sometimes kind of covers his eyes. His head is sort of always down. He never really and opens his mouth when he wants to speak. It's all very tentative language. Everything he does is is sort of to serve Gracie, mm-hmm. but because he does seem to genuinely love her. Mm-hmm. How that was born is up for discussion because he says late in the film, after he does something very transgressive, mm-hmm. um, and no spoilers, so he has sex with Elizabeth. Right. <laughs> and we can, we have to talk about the letter, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. But uh, he, uh, you know, she says to him, you can start over. And he says, and do what? Mm-hmm. It's it's incredibly heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And it, I would be tempted to agree with you that it is the performance of the year. Mm-hmm. If Natalie Portman weren't doing the most incredible acrobatics in this Mm -hmm. film. But then you also have Julianne Moore, who is playing this villain figure. You managed to feel for Mm -hmm. and think is just the most fascinating person. But it all comes down to sort of what are these pieces of us? Mm-hmm. And in that Gracie says definitively that she's naive. And then five minutes later says, I've completely played you. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to think I'm not secure because I am secure. Mm-hmm. I can be all of these nebulous and contradictory parts and still be me. Mm-hmm. And and that's where the film it doesn't really lack it it lacks judgment in that it understands that that is true of every single human being Mm -hmm. yeah this the the lack of judgment from both priscilla and may december are are really fascinating looks as to i don't know of many movies that have delved into this kind of groomer predatory nature all that much um but i would imagine a lot of those takes a lot of those movies if there are even that many movies are kind of rightfully so sometimes just showing the contrast of how evil one side is and how innocent the other side is meeting in the middle completely bastardizing somebody else uh the predator in a lot of scenarios whereas these um allow for those complex emotions to be washed over the audience and i just find that so infectious and mixed in with the humor and uh the particularly when I didn't know if the movie was ever going to get to a place um, with Joe's uh, kind of reckoning with what scenario and relationship he's actually in. But uh, after he transgressed with uh, Elizabeth and then immediately goes home and talks to Gracie. And that's where there's two performances this year where like the uh, ones in a TV show, kind of the, the couple fight, that happens that really moved me was one in succession between Tom and Shiv. And then, yeah. Yeah. And then this, uh, that's a, a great corollary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then this one with, uh, uh, um, uh, Gracie and Joe. So it's just, it was so fascinating and allowing the character to get there while not fully just like throwing something up against the wall, breaking something and getting mad and running out. He, he, he understands that he's, he's not he's, that person. Yeah, exactly. He understands that he's, he's stuck and, uh, 
that fear of being stuck seems to be creeping into his mind for at least the first time in a while. And it's, it's heartbreaking. It's, it's one of the, like the more chilling and moving scenes I've seen all year. Because it is so naked about what we do to each other. Mm -hmm. Like it, it is so moving to me in the same way that the Tom and Shiv really revealing to each other what's internal Mm -hmm. and what they through all of their sort of like horniness for power, mm-hmm. this relationship is equally just sort of um, completely mixed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and clearly from the jump, mm-hmm. <laughs> which started with a, a power dynamic that is really confusing for a 13 year old boy. Right. Right. Um, and for Gracie, as she proposes, but I think as the film, like that scene really reveals how Gracie is able to manipulate. Mm-hmm. You know, you see her doing it, you know, the kind of crocodile tears or maybe they're real. Mm-hmm. But here she picks out one thing he says that he, I guess, to her, doesn't use the correct language mm-hmm. or like she sees an opportunity and takes it. And shuts it down. Mm-hmm. And that, I'm like, oh my God, do I do that? <laughs> right, <laughs> like, yeah. That is the sort of thing you're like, wait, I do that. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I think I I do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other hand, you're watching him and you're like, you see the things that you tamp down inside you. And like what it takes for him to pull it out. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you something. Okay. The scene previous to that is the dinner, the graduation dinner, right? right. Mm -hmm. And there's yet another mirror moment. There's like three pivotal moments where Gracie and Elizabeth are in a mirror looking at each other, looking at themselves. But of course, you know, as we know, a mirror doesn't show you the thing. It shows you the thing reversed. Mm -hmm. So there's all this stuff about mirrors that's really just incredible. Incredible in this movie. Um, but there's a scene in the restaurant mirror where Gracie says, um, you know, I'm naive, but I've I've always thought of that as a benefit to myself. But then she turns and as she's leaving, she says, um, Joe's gonna take us home, but then he'll be back to take you home. Mm. And the first time you think, well, that's Gracie being, that's a nicety Mm -hmm. that she's providing. But watching it a second and the third time, and then her acknowledgement at the end when she says, I wonder if any of this is going to be a benefit to the film. And you know what I mean by that. Mm -hmm. I, uh, it is now my belief that she is fully aware that there is a chance that um, if maybe not that Elizabeth will get into Joe's pants, mm-hmm. is that she will enter his mind and and fuck with it. Right. I think she fully knows that that relationship's happening between the two of them mm-hmm. and that that something will come of it. There will be a rupture in Joe, an opportunity for Gracie to once again sort of break up and reconstruct his mind around her. Mm-hmm. And that to me is like this. That's the tragedy of this. This is this is the way this very entertaining film creates 
the weirdest tension, the most unique tension of lifetime movie and and true crime and uh, Todd Haynes' academic, you know, essay mm-hmm. on personality, perception, public perception. The, there's no film you can tell me that resembles this one. Mm-hmm. I totally, yeah, I, I think I agree with Gracie pulling those strings and almost giving Elizabeth permission to either fully lean in emotionally or fit and or physically. It doesn't feel like Gracie, despite her best, uh, best efforts is actually, uh, uh, she wants Elizabeth there and, uh, the narcissism that has played with that from both the actress side and the Gracie side, the Elizabeth side, um, is, is fascinating. And then that, Leads me back to when she goes to the uh, the drama department at the high school, oh. and uh, <laughs> you you see her walking through the hallways, and she kind of flirts at one of the at one of the kids that she's looking at. And I'm like, oh, that's not a nicety smile that we all do when we're walking past somebody. That was a seductive smile that she's practicing with uh, with these group of kids that she's walking through the hallways of, and then it ends with. Uh, in the in the drama classroom where uh, the bro that I probably was in high school, she'd be like, oh, you do sex scenes in, in movies? And uh, she completely leans in. You think she's going to be put off as other actors would understandably be by a question like that. But she leans in and she's like, sometimes you don't know when uh, when passion is real and then you kind of step out of your body and you, you, you buy into the what's being portrayed on screen or being shot on the camera or whatever. And that was the eerie scene I think in the whole movie where I didn't expect Elizabeth to fully jump into uh, that, that, that method type of acting that we, we all hear about. And another thing I love is I don't get the sense that Elizabeth, what type of actor do you think she is in the landscape of Hollywood? Is I love that you asked this question. I think because the movie is, it really plays you. Mm-hmm. It plays you with what your perception is of Elizabeth. Uh-huh. What What were you going to say? You think the, what? Uh, well, the at the beginning of the movie, I, I don't know if it's an exact ad that Natalie Portman has been in before, but she has been in ads like that before. I've seen her in ads like Definitely. that. So, um, and then the best that joke ad of the- seems too perfect to the theme yeah. where she he's it's, it's um, Joe watching it and she's like, be clean, be fresh. Because mm-hmm. she will later on say to him, you can start anew right. while she's being gracie. <laughs> it's exactly. so tricky. It's so tricky. So and then, what kind of actress is she? Yeah, but my fa- we, the best joke of the movie. Out. Yeah, yeah. The best joke in the movie for me is uh, at the dinner scene right before uh, uh, Elizabeth and Joe have an affair is uh, the Gracie's older family that she still has some relationship with come into the same oh restaurant and the it seems like uh gracie's oldest daughter from the previous marriage looks at elizabeth and goes i really loved you in nora's arc and i lost my mind when she played in the movie nora's arc i'm like i don't know well i think that's her tv show so oh, so that's that her tv the show? tricky thing okay, yeah. right so you are the She's the lead of the film. Mm-hmm. You are, we spent a lot of time on Gracie and, and Joe, mm-hmm. but what you're watching is her essentially 
entering the world she and that's what's so kind of tricky and discuss i keep using that word tricky because it is difficult about it that is kind of frightening about it is to watch her take over gracie mm -hmm. or like gracie assimilate into her and at one point she's on the phone with the director of the film and and is like too in deep where one of the great jokes of it is i think you need to come back yeah, right because she gradually starts taking in the first mirror scene once there's one moment where julianne moore looks away and they're sitting in the same position mm -hmm. where her her legs are crossed and her arms are crossed on top of that. And it's such an odd pose. Like, no one naturally um, finds themselves in that position. Julianne Moore looks away and Elizabeth is studying. Like, that's what she's doing. Mm -hmm. um, but eventually she starts to take on the thing we haven't mentioned about Gracie. The lisp. Yeah. She eventually starts, Julianne Moore has a very, is doing a very pronounced lisp in this film, which the film doesn't play as a joke, thankfully. Mm -hmm. But what's funny about it is the way Grace um, Elizabeth starts to take it on mm -hmm. when she cl very clearly does not have any sort of speech impediment. Mm. Um, it's, it, she starts to, Take it on. And my favorite part of that scene you were talking about, the slow motion in the high school hallway, mm -hmm. is that the second she does that kind of flirty smile to a high schooler as she walks past him, there's a she deflates in utter ah, disgust. Right, like yeah. there's a, a moment of self-recognition that she's like, What am I doing? Mm -hmm. But it is so intoxicating mm -hmm. to her where she all but jerks off in the back of the pet store. <laughs> yeah. That is when I knew this film had was not going to hold back mm -hmm. at all. She's a you see her doing all of this this method acting. She's a shitty actress, right? She's horrible. She's a terrible actor. <laughs> like that's the joke of this movie mm -hmm. is that you go to this extent to subsume this person into you. You have no skill. Right. And that the final shot of this film is her doing multiple takes of back in the of the back in the pet store mm -hmm. where she is Eve tempting with the snake and the apple and the whole mm -hmm. kind of biblical illusion there is very on the nose. But it is just as good as the old TV movie that she's studying. Mm -hmm which reveals that the entire time you are seeing her do this very methodical thing, it, it turns out she's shitty. Yeah, she's so bad. <laughs> she's the shitty person yeah. uh, in general, right. and she's also just a bad actor. Yeah. And, and the last line of the movie is, is something about do, doing another take for her because it's becoming more real. <laughs> Whatever that means. <laughs> this movie's it's, such a fucking banger. It's it, so good. It is it is so engineered, like for me. Mm -hmm. For it to be a persona swap movie that is also this like transgressive true crime exploitation 
comedy mm-hmm. by Todd Haynes where Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman are like swapping person like fucking wild. It's it's it really is a wild ride. Yeah, I didn't necessarily think of this before while I was watching the movie, but how like calculated do you think Gracie is? Do you think the list is even real? Because it's not there all the time. It comes and goes. Yeah. It comes and goes. Mm-hmm. And that is not a fault of Julianne Moore's. No, uh... It's intentional. Mm-hmm. She, when her, uh, uh, she and Joe are alone, her voice goes into a different register. Mm-hmm. She leans on the lisp. When Gracie uh, uh, and Elizabeth are in the mirror, she does that same effect. Mm-hmm. And you can see where Gracie is is then kind of seducing mm-hmm. Elizabeth. Right. In the same way she's seduced Joe. Mm-hmm. And, and Elizabeth's so incredibly intoxicated by it because she's such a beguiling woman. Mm-hmm. She's such a beguiling figure that we are also intoxicated by it because she's unknowable. Mm-hmm. In the same way that all of these characters are completely unknowable. And ultimately, that's the thing. It's like you can be surrounded by all of these cultural signposts and and project yourself in such a way. And for all of these things to be true mm-hmm. is the human experience. Right. You're allowed to hold all these contradictions in you. But Gracie... Gracie Gracie has the mind of a mastermind. Yeah, for sure. And I say it that way because she maybe unintentionally mm-hmm. knows how to manipulate people. Right. And, there, and just performs that. Yeah. And the the movie's set in the South and it it it's in Savannah, Georgia, I believe. And yeah. choosing Savannah feels like a it could be just like a oh beautiful scenery, great place to set a movie, kind of bayou adjacent. And there's a great a lot of films are made in Georgia, right? Because of the great tax credit. Exactly. Like I, sorry. No, there's yeah. there's there's more to it because I think there's not many believable cities in the South that would embrace an actress coming into town quite like this, um, or would have the anonymity to allow a predator to just fade into a, a kind of a, a quiet existence. Um, you obviously the opening of the movie, you get uh, a piece of shit sent to the house. So there's still clearly some uh, very intense animosity <laughs> of towards Gracie and the whole situation. Um, but there, the setting felt so purposeful and not just a tax credit, like you pointed out with, with Georgia yeah. And I've, I've been marinating on that. I've never been to Savannah, so I can't fully uh, accurately say if this is truly a, a place that might be the uh, be the center of this type of fucked up story. But I, I, I found that choice really fascinating. And I'm interested to see if, if that stuck out to you at all, the location aspect. Oh, absolutely. Because it's the, the, the whole ethos of the Southern uh, charm mm-hmm. is here. It's about the kind of niceties that people exchange with each other Mm -hmm. in a public setting. But we all know what's under that is gossip, rumor. Just really like there's a strain of 
the the whole idea is presenting yourself one way mm-hmm. and being another way. And so that's what this this movie is ultimately about. I mean, it has all these like serene surfaces. Mm-hmm. I've never seen a movie look so pure one imports. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. The 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 kind of this movie is all beige and pink lipstick mm-hmm. and you know uh uh sundresses and weeping willows and and docks and it's mm-hmm. it's sun hats like it, the way that all of these beige serene surfaces uncovered this pure ugliness um it it's really incredible it is a a great setting for this thing and you know this mary kay letourneau i don't think that was it was like an ohio or something i don't yeah, know right um but it is a really great choice and that you know everything's made in georgia and um you know whatever because you can dress that city up to be something else by just right. making choices but no it's it's very purposeful mm-hmm. it, it feels very purposeful or that they used it to their advantage yeah exactly and then yeah with savannah i just know that uh, savannah college of art and design is down there it kind of has a yeah. its own reputation of its yeah. own in it and i don't know if they it's art and design so i don't necessarily know if they have a theatrical program or anything like that but oh absolutely a yeah, great film program too. do they yeah so yeah it just it, it makes sense that a, a person would be allowed to perform for this long as gracie in real life and you're, 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 what you brought up, I think, right at the very beginning, uh, is somebody always that person? I don't know if Savannah would be one of those cities that would allow that type of uh, pun not intended grace for somebody that is uh, maybe can turn into new leaf. But um, obviously, there's no sign of her changing at all because she's always puts herself in the right position to manipulate and stay in power. But um, if the, she's, she's if fooling the whole- a lot of people, yeah. The whole film is an investigation of Gracie, mm-hmm. right? And what and what comes from that? Mm-hmm. So you get the perspective of the ex-husband who's like, this was a very terrible time for me. Mm-hmm. But we had this happy relationship. Yeah. Gracie was just a part of the community. Mm-hmm. But then you have the lawyer who, upon seeing Elizabeth, is like, I see why you're playing her. You have the same brightness like mm-hmm. you don't have a mean bone in your body but then you have the ch- her children mm-hmm. who allow her to be this kind of like in joke but they protect because she is their mother but then they allow her to be kind of verbally abusive mm-hmm so oh, the, it's all true. Yeah, the moment where she says the thing to the, the about the arms to her daughter. Yes. Oh my like, gosh. I like I almost stood up when I was watching it at home. I was like, what the <laughs> hell did she just say? Like, I can't even imagine. Oh my god. And you look at Elizabeth uh, uh, her face yeah. and like she's just completely secondhand embarrassment mm-hmm. drained oh. <laughs> of of any decorum in that moment. She's like, Oh my god, I can't believe that just happened <laughs> and then the, when the older daughter what, comes back into town and uh she gets a scale as a graduation present it's like she sorry yeah like, just, just go go ahead living life without a scale i was like jesus christ this woman is like that would that's made me more uncomfortable than any of the pedophilia in this movie it was just so off-putting and so 
just a turn that you didn't see from her very often, but classic Southern Midwestern uh, uh, manipulation kind of type thing. Yeah. It's, 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 it's really incredible what Julianne Moore is able to do, but what the screenplay is able mm-hmm. to do in building this character and getting to the point of, you know, we can be all of, we can carry all of these things with us. Um, but I, I particularly love that, you know, Haynes has gone into this and has been more literal about it in the past by saying, okay, let's have uh, seven, six or seven actors play Bob Dylan in six or seven different ways. Well, it's sort of the more obvious way of doing it. And in this film, it's like, well, what the process by which we build people and then try to uncover what they are is also very detrimental. Mm -hmm. And it can be very confusing when you uncover that a person can be all of these things. And when you try to emulate that, that's a very dangerous process as well. And um, yeah, it's just rich line by line. Mm -hmm. And some lines become funnier once you're aware of everything that's going on. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the line about, um, or the moment when Elizabeth puts her hand up to an X-ray of a 13 year old's broken arm, Mm -hmm. uh, puts her hand up to the hand and says, it's so small. Mm-hmm. And that you realize the reason that she wants to do that is she wants to know what it's like in comparison right. to an adult's hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But then the second time you see it, you realize she's doing that because she's also acknowledging to Joe what his experience was like. Mm-hmm. But then the third time I watched it, I was like, that's fucked up mm-hmm. that you would do that to acknowledge because what you're trying to do is be in Gracie's place. Right. And that's, yeah, that's how this film starts unraveling and gets into your head uh, and, and really has uh, taken over a bit of my brain. Yes. To an embarrassing extent, <laughs> I should admit. It should not be embarrassing because I think this is, uh, at, at the very least, the most unique film of the year. And yeah. uh, just, just, yeah, it, it's it's got everything going for it. The, the entertainment value, the investigative value, the persona twin swap type of uh, template that a lot of movies go into. Um, I, I'm going to be talking about this one many more times as we kind of get into the classic top 10 of the year. And then award season, I imagine. I don't, so well, let's bring it back to kind of a little bit more con- context with Todd Haynes because I believe he's only ever been nominated himself once for Far From Heaven. Is that correct? For a screenplay. For a screenplay, yeah. yeah. So he's never well, been for a director. Wait, well, yeah. did he get director? I don't think he got director. I, I can't remember. Nomination. Yeah. Uh, that but I might think- be a year where Far From Heaven was nominated mm-hmm. and like a lone director nomination got in there. Because I remember Far From Heaven being kind of a major player that year. Right. So yeah. And the- then... He hasn't just like, I just assumed Carol got him a, a nomination, but for best director or screenwriting or whatever, but it didn't. Obviously, the the actors had a huge play that year, and that's generally kind of where he where he lives is a kind of a, a vehicle for actors to. I don't know if any of his actors have ever won, um, but they they always seem to be in the conversation. So yeah, Todd Haynes only uh, was nominated for screenplay that year. 
Um, and I yeah, think his that's his films only nomination ever. seem to only. Yeah, his films only seem to go so far in these things, mm-hmm. and I, you know, it's funny because they're not films that when you appreciate them on their level, and not just that, you know, Carol's this beautiful looking love story or um far from heaven is this great like beautifully mounted uh melodrama or oh my god i can't believe that kate blanchett is pulling this kind of trick and i'm not there they're not mm-hmm. awardsy movies in that extent no. and yet they're always in conversation um because they are you know always kind of gorgeously mounted this movie's really going to have a tough time because I think at first blush, people are going to be turned off by it. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching like reactions come in about it. And I think my instinct is actually kind of incorrect. Mm-hmm. I saw this with a Plaza Frontenac crowd and they were just having an incredible time with it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. When I expected people to like at some point be completely turned off and walk out of it. And mm-hmm. That didn't happen. Mm-hmm. That's that's so really might interesting because because I've I've uh, recommended it to a few people because despite or not despite uh, there's only two scenes in the movie both starring Elizabeth uh, her as you so gracefully put it her jerking herself off at in the stock room yeah. of the pet store. Um, and then I was hooking up and having an affair with Joe. Those are the only two scenes where I would be like, oh, I could see someone walking out in that moment and be, being confused as to what they walked into. But for the most part, this is kind of, I, it, I don't want to compare it for like any other reason besides it. Like I would expect people with Gone Girl to maybe be turned off by that movie. And then, but they stayed for the whole time and it's a beloved movie. And I, I don't think May December is going to have the, quite the cultural footprint as that necessarily, but I think it could sneak people into, uh, into, into sticking around for the whole runtime. And by the end of it, majority would be like, that was pretty awesome and entertaining at the mm-hmm. very least. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think this movie will actually have some cultural legs. Mm-hmm. Carol's become quite for the sure. cult film. Um, and for it being kind of what people might perceive it as Oscar bait, um and then it not really coming off and then it being you know a critically very beloved movie and it's mm-hmm. here but then having a complete uh, second life because of the queer communities that have come around it and mm-hmm. the film communities that have come around it this will have the same impact because I think so it is so fucking memeable. Mm-hmm. We have yet oh, we have talked yeah. about this movie for about an hour yeah and have yet to talk about the, I don't think we have enough hot dogs moment. I mean, th- that's that's the moment in which the movie teaches you what it will be. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, this is feel f- fine about laughing because mm-hmm. we're we think it's th- very funny as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so important for a director to so clearly give you that permission to with a subject matter like this because without it the off-putted nature of it potentially might be too strong, but that, that, that's a good point. The, the meme. Yeah. What's 
it's kind of a destructive conversation, but I'm trying to think of the memeable movies of, of years past. Um, and I don't have any oh, necessarily off, off the know, top of my head. But a yeah. Star is Born. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, what is the, there's a movie that, yeah, you might have to cut this out. Um, <laughs> God. I, I, I mean, there, I, there I, are I, movies I can think of that are like, that feel engineered to be memes salt burn right. like salt burn uh, yeah. feels very like uh let's let's get the internet chatter going sure. by being provocative but that film feels ultimately kind of empty about all right. of its provocations where this film you know as it, it has proven with at least the two of us is like that's fodder for thought you mm-hmm. know Exactly. And yeah, it's, it's going to manifest in people's minds and uh, kind of an elongated experience. It's not a movie that's going to kind of empty the mind anytime soon. I don't think there's anybody that will watch it, even if they hate it, that'll even be like, oh, it's just a nothing movie that I forgot about. Like, it's going to stick around for whatever reason in every type of way that I can imagine it. Good. Gracie would be so happy about it. She'd be so happy. Um, but we'll wrap up there. I'm glad I found a counterpart with, uh, Joshua Ray to, to join me in the conversation. So Joshua, where can, uh, where can people find you? Um, they can find me at, uh, the take up website and on social media, the take up SDL, mm-hmm. um, my personal account, crispy retinas. Uh, but you can find me also on KMOV every week, every Friday nice. film critic there. And then, uh, yeah, just, you know, cruising the streets wanting to talk to people about me to say <laughs> did did the kmov have you talk about this one when it had its short run oh i i i i'll tell you this so we were going to do a segment about um our most anticipated films of the rest of the year mm-hmm. or the fall and of course you know i've been anxiously awaiting this one mm-hmm. and um i ended up getting sick and uh your uh, past guest taylor blake um, is my partner and all that mm-hmm. and uh, ended up doing it herself. Well, what I didn't realize is that I had given them a link to use for a trailer that uh, contained the phrase, a pull quote from David Ehrlich, a catty as fuck comedy. <laughs> and clearly no one, no one uh reviewed that before they put it live on the air what that is taylor didn't notice it the the uh other folks there nobody noticed it but the internet did yeah um and they all you know the right corners of the internet did and i guess i don't know if there's any fallback from that but i did end up reviewing it and specifically said be careful mm-hmm. because there are trailers out there with pull quotes that have the word fuck in them. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yes, but to get away with reviewing it. That's amazing. Did they allow you to come back after uh, you led, you led oh, them yeah. astray? All right. Yeah. All right. Good. I'm glad they didn't freak out. I'm like, Joshua, how dare you put the F word Oops. on television? That's incredible. <laughs> I might, uh, I might put that as the, the teaser at the beginning that I sometimes do. Cause that is a wonderful <laughs> story. Um, but yeah, Joshua, thank you so much for uh, for coming on today. Um, I hope to have you gone again soon because I'm going to be grasping for co-host here uh, the, the next few months while Drew is out uh, taking care of his second child. So um, obviously, congratulations yeah, to Drew, and uh, uh, we'll 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 be continuing though. Uh, so stay tuned. Uh, you can find 
uh, Do You Like Apples on Spotify and uh, Apple. Uh, thank you to Ryan Jenkins for the intro music. Uh, we are on Instagram and X at you like underscore apples. And we still have our newsletter coming out every Friday morning, um, typically rep- recommending movies uh, that are streaming with based around a certain theme. Uh, and then I, I, I might flesh out on there my, uh, this is Todd Haynes Halloween take that I'm I'm fleshing out slowly in my mind because I, I kind of want to give that to see if it's a hollow thought or if there if there's something to it besides the uh, the music and some of the camera tricks that he pulls out. But I'm into it. I like I it. it. I like it. Uh, but yeah, thanks, Joshua. I will uh, talk to you later. Do you like apples? Do you like apples?